Welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of him through this journey. Thank you for joining us and may burning witnesses arise. I was in Kansas City a couple of months ago and had an opportunity to spend some time in the prayer room and meet some folks while there. It was just a wild intersection of divine timing and and conversations and things of this nature. And one of uh, the people, one of the leaders that was there in a conversation about, man, the convocations and, and holy assemblies and Joel chapter two and man, our nation and God's purposes in this hour of history and so on and so forth, we ended up discussing that Corey was gonna be joining us this year. And he said, have you met Corey? And I said, man, this, honestly, this is just nuts. No, I haven't. I haven't met him. I said, man, we were on a 40 earlier this year, and, and, and I came out of a dream, and in the dream, uh, I said, I told my wife when I woke up, I saw in a dream, man, over our nation, that the Lord was like brooding over our nation, and in his hand was a man, and that man had taken the shape of a hammer, and the Lord was, he, he was swinging this hammer against different regions in our nation. And it wasn't in vain because with every swing, like it would break and things would crack open. And I said, babe, this is going to be totally crazy. I said, I feel like because I saw in the dream, Corey Russell in the hand of the Lord as one of the hammers that God had formed in this moment in our nation to see breakthrough in cities and regions. You see, it's what we're after. We're not simply creating a collection by star power or following, uh, but not by social media metrics or, or none of this nonsense, right? Because we get it, like, man can applaud you, but it doesn't necessarily mean that God has authorized you. <laughs> like, the two are not the same thing. And I said, babe, I feel like we're supposed to reach out to him. I said, I, I don't know him. I said, man, like in different places, there's been people like, oh, you guys need to meet and all this stuff. I said, I'm just going to shoot him an email. And so I had done this, and I was in Kansas City. And one of the leaders there said, Corey's coming. I said, he is. And he said, let me tell you what I know about Corey. I said, oh, okay, cool. He said, I sat next to Corey for more than a decade in the prayer room. And for six to eight hours a day, for more than a decade, I watched a man come in and open up his Bible and weep over the word day after day after day. And I said, oh my God, I need help. I need to rethink the way that I introduce people and like, <laughs> oh my Lord. <laughs> like, it's because of all the things that you could say about somebody. Think about that. Of all the things that you could say about somebody, I watched him for more than a decade open the word and weep in the presence of God. Man. And he said, oh, it's going to be good if Corey's coming. <laughs> I sent him the email and asked him if he would come. I explained briefly what we were doing and why I felt God was wanting to connect us in this room together over these days. And he emailed me back within 10 minutes. And he said, bro, I'm on my way. I'm coming. I'll be with you guys. 
Corey, I just want you to know, man, we honor you. Would you, would you stand tonight and, and help me welcome Corey Russell as he's going to come and share with us. Bro, be yourself. Be as free as you want to be. My goodness, that was absolutely phenomenal. Team, worship team, absolutely amazing. I, uh, this was amazing. We've spent the last two hours together and hearing Michael's story and hearing the story of the burning ones has just set me on fire. And so it's an honor to be here and I feel such a kindred spirit. And we got cousins that were just meeting for the first time. And, uh, that's what I feel, and I feel like we got a big family we're going to be running into a lot. So this is what it's all about, and um, it's an honor to be with you guys. Um, again, yeah, I, 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 I'm originally, you're going to hear an accent, and it's uh, from Arkansas, and so it's a very powerful accent, um, in case you're wondering. Um, I got radically saved in 1997 in a, uh, a, a college parking lot, all right? That's a loud little chirping thing. And uh, I um, got radically saved in a college parking lot in, in February 18th, 1997. And uh, I, I had gone deep into this world as much as you could do, as many ways as you could do it, and uh, just ran really hard for a season. And just at a, at a really breaking point, I had a friend that lost his mind for about five, about four months. We had been doing too many drugs, and he came back, and he was a little weird, and he stopped talking, okay? And so we just kind of took our friend around with us for about four months, you know, just kind of throw him in the back seat. He, he, he didn't talk for four months, but he just looked at everybody with real deep eyes. <laughs> Kind of like the old weekend at Bernie's, just throw the guy in the back seat, and he's just there. And, um, and uh, that went on for about four months, and you know you're in trouble when, when the, the dope heads are talking about your intervention. And uh, so me and my buddies were talking about how we're going to get him saved and get him figured out. And uh, that went on for four months. Well, it culminated on February 1st, 1997. And uh, it's my birthday. I'd been partying the night before at University of Arkansas, pull up into his driveway another day to throw him in the back seat. And he comes running out the front door, screaming at me at the top of his lungs, screaming, it's heaven or hell, Corey. It's heaven or hell. You have to make a decision. Well, he's running me full speed, and I'm backing up. And I go, what's going on? He goes, make a decision now. And I go, no, I'm not making a decision now. I'm leaving and it was known he had one of those Pentecostal praying moms. Come on. Devil come out or I'm coming in after you kind of women. Where, where, where are my girls at? Come on. They anoint everybody with oil. I'd be coming in the house high as a cot. She'd be waiting at the door. Corey, you can come in. You leave those demon friends outside. Stay at his house, put my head on the pillow, and I go, what in the world? She just put anointing oil all over the pillow. <laughs> Anoint us here in Jesus. <laughs> and uh, he had known the Lord as a child, and so she literally had a conference the weekend before all of this, 
And the preacher said, come up here and get your children. And she got a breakthrough on Sunday and saw it manifest on Thursday where he had, she led him through a powerful three-day deliverance and he gets saved and comes back to Jesus. And now he's preaching heaven or hell to me. And he's screaming at me, heaven or hell. And I go, no. And so I leave and it was known mom had prayed him through a three-day deliverance. And uh, he gets saved and I get angry. You don't get saved at 20 years old, okay? This is too close to 21, all right? I was really frustrated. I felt betrayed. I'd put up with weirdness for four months, and you don't get saved this close to 21. These were the deep, deep reasonings. And two weeks later, he showed up at college, and I was studying to be an elementary teacher, okay? There we go. Strung out elementary teacher, and um, he takes me to lunch, and he shares with me that for those four months, the spirit realm was opened up to him, and he was seeing angels and demons and seeing what was controlling people, and see that we're all controlled by things we're not aware of, and that it went on for four months, and it freaked him out, and we were shut up in a little house the last night, and the voice of the Lord broke in the middle of the party that we were at. The Lord spoke and said, Satan's raising up an army. I'm raising up an army too, and I'm calling you out tonight. And so he's at lunch. I had just gotten my second DWI, and I just was, you know, and I was just hard, and I didn't want to hear anything. And he's looking at me in the face saying, Corey, you need to give your life to Jesus. Hell is real. Hell is real. Hell is real. And I said, dude, how about you just shut up and take me back to school? He goes, okay. And so we didn't say another word for the next 10 minutes. He drives back to the college. And right before I get out of the van, I felt something I had never felt before. I didn't know what it was, but I was in the passenger seat, and I felt from the right of my body to the left, I began to feel a presence move. And, and before I knew it, I'm shaking violently like I'm having a seizure. The Holy Spirit filled the van. And I'm sitting there shaking, going, what is this? And all I can see is a tug-of-war battle between light and darkness over my soul. Well... He pulled in the back of the parking lot, and I guess mom taught him one prayer in prayer 101 because he went right for the jugular. And this is what you do in prayer 101. In the name of Jesus, I bind the Antichrist spirit. He went right for it, and it manifested into a chokehold around my throat, and I couldn't breathe, and I knew I had to get out the name Jesus, but all I could get out was Jesus. And so I'm trying to say his name, and I went, Jesus, and it got tighter. Jeez, it got tighter. He's in my ear. Say it. Say it. Say it. I said, I'm, I said, I'm trying. <laughs> and I just remember taking a deep breath and with all the power inside of me, screaming at the top of my lungs, Jesus. And right when I screamed his name, the hold broke off of me and it was like God came and breathed into my mouth. And all I can say for the next five minutes is I've got air. I've got air. I've got air. He jumps out of the van dancing, running around the van saying, Jericho's come down, hallelujah. We're in a college parking lot. He's running around the van. Jericho's come down. And I'm screaming, I got air, I got air, I got air. And I heard a voice as clear as day come into my mind. This is February 18, 97. Get out of the van, get on the pavement, and give me your life, your mind. All right, I didn't meet the all shucks Jesus that says, hey, give me a chance. I met Jesus who said, you've seen enough. Now get down, 
give me your life, you're mine. And I, and I fell right out of the van into the pavement and I said, Jesus Christ, I give you my life, I'm yours. That was my sinner's prayer. Jesus Christ, I give you my life, I'm yours. And that moment I passed from death to life. Forgiven of all my sins, all drugs, alcohol, perversion, all the addiction, broken in a moment. The power of God hit me. I went home that afternoon, sat on my porch swing for two hours, undone by how blue the sky was, how green the grass was, and how loud the birds were. It's like I had been dead for 20 years and I was alive. And within a month, I had a drug ring of friends that had encounters like that or bigger in their explosions. I ended up leading my little brother to the Lord who was still in high school. And over the next six months, we saw God invade a small town in northwest Arkansas where we saw half the high school come to Jesus, have five meetings a week till three in the morning. And I really fell in love with my best friend's mom and her best friends. And I said, there's something powerful about these ladies, and I want to be around them all the time. So I said, give me my own anointing oil. <laughs> it, we didn't have the, uh, what are the, uh, what are those incense things? Fragrant oils, or what is it? Essential oils. Everybody just had candles back then. And um, anyway. So I cut my teeth and I spent my next two years, the majority of my time, with two 50-year-olds and one 80-year-old woman. Those were my best friends. That's who I hung out with. I want you to know something, that cool has nothing to do with age. I want to tell you, you want people to come around you, get on fire. Fire begets fire. You don't have to be cool. You ain't got to change how you dress. Just get on fire. And I fell madly in love with the presence of God. And I so longed that God would release revival in regions and where God's manifest presence would break in and where God would move in such power and glory. I became so zealous and jealous for his presence. And I just wanted to be in the presence of God all the time. And, I, and so I, I really cut my teeth. I married my wife of 23 years in 1998. I had our first daughter in 99, graduated in 2000. I am an elementary teacher, fasted a 40 days during my student teaching. And then two days after graduating, we moved to Kansas City to join the International House of Prayer, where I spent the, the better part of 18 years, 30 hours a week, sitting in a chair, crying over Bible verses, asking God to send historic revival and for Jesus to come back. That was the plan. It wasn't, I'm going to pray so I can get anointed and go change the world. It wasn't, I'm going to put my time in with a boring God so that he can be my stepladder into my destiny. I'm not going to endure God so that I can pay my deal and check it off the box so I can go be powerful. I literally wanted to sit on row two, cry over Bible verses, ask him to send revival and for him to come back. And God absolutely wrecked me in that early season as he delivered me from everything else and I began to catch a great view of God. That God wasn't, you know, I say that to people, you know, Jesus is not a stepladder into your destiny. He wants to kill your destiny. And he wants to resurrect his through you. 
And he's so kind, but he always wins the wrestling match. And he's really good at crucifixions, <laughs> under resurrections. I got a hold of a prayer in 2001. Really, the verse that changed my life was John 17, 24, where Jesus prayed, Father, I desire that those whom you've given me would be with me where I am, beholding my glory. Do you know that there's been a desire burning in the heart of God from before Genesis 1? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they, they had a deep dream, a deep desire that was burning in their heart and that it, it was for more than a religion. It was for more than a social club of 45 minutes and 20 bucks. There was a deep desire, a deep dream in the heart of God that there would be a who would be with him where he is. Not just next to him, but would be joined with his will and his purpose and his mind and his emotions. And then this is my favorite thing. Jesus' desire, I like to call John 17, 24, Jesus' list of demands and going to the cross. He goes, okay, I'm going, but I don't want a religion out of this. I don't need a social club. Father, this is what I want. I want a bride that's with me where I am. And number two, I want to be her number one source of entertainment. That she would behold my glory. The glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. He says it earlier in John 17, verse 5. He says, glorify me together with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus is meditating on his preexistent glory right before Judas comes in and kisses him in the garden. And the longing, and I put my pinky toe in a river called desire. I knew about discipline. I knew about duty. I knew about diligence. But I put my pinky toe into a river called desire, and that changed Christianity for me. It changed everything for me to know that there has been something burning so deep in the heart of God that I would be with him and that I would be lost in the discovery of his person. See, when we talk about burning ones, I want you to understand here at the beginning of the conference, if you don't already know, burning ones aren't charismatic personalities burning ones aren't excited preachers they're not loud people burning ones who have are ones who have looked at the burning God for so long the fire in his eyes hasn't been imparted into the depths of their spirit And I began to connect in my first season, it's about God. It's about the search and the discovery of him. It's about the greatest treasure hunt that has ever been, and that is when God reveals God to the human spirit. That's why I exist. That's why I was created. That's the Pacific Ocean, and I will be having fresh drool resting off my lips for eternity. I will never get used to him and never will you. Do you know why we get bored? It's because you think you've arrived. 
Boredom sets in when you lower the bar to something other than God. And boredom is the greatest cancer confronting the church in America. We can talk about the thousand issues. I want to tell you at the end of the day, the ones who talk about them the most, don't cry when they look at him. Because they don't look at him. But I believe that God's raising up a generation that's going to look at him. I want to give you a prayer out of Ephesians 1, 16 through 19. And I want this to get tattooed on your spirit, okay? Are we okay? Look with me in your Bible in Ephesians 1, 16 through 19. Holy Spirit, I want you guys leaning in on the word. I don't want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. I don't want to inform your head. I want to awaken your spirit. I want to put salt on your tongue and awaken a fresh cry for God. You get bored when you've arrived. <laughs> There's nothing left to discover. Great is the Lord, his greatness is searchable. Paul spends the first 14 verses laying out every blessing that we have in Jesus. Blessed, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, sealed. We know the mystery of his will. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And Paul goes, you have no idea what you've been brought into. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And then in verse 15, he goes, therefore I do not cease to pray for you. He goes, I, I thank God for your love and your faith. He goes, I do not cease to thank God for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that phrase, the God of God. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he calls him my favorite title of God in Scripture, the Father of glory. Father of glory. Paul is standing before the God of Jesus the God who oversaw his crucifixion and resurrection. The father of glory, indescribable beauty, splendor, majesty, brilliance. And he stands before the father of glory and he goes, this is the prayer I can't stop praying for the church. This is the thing that drives me. They've been brought into a trillion dollars but they are still living like beggars. Therefore, I ask that the Father of glory would give to the church the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He prays that the eyes of your understanding would be opened. Your spiritual faculties would be awakened. And that you would know three things. Number one, the hope of not your calling, his calling. And you'll discover your calling in his calling to receive all the nations and every heart and him to receive everything from the Father. It's about his calling. Number two, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? 
You know what that is? That you would know who you are to Jesus. Because you're the Father's wedding gift to Jesus. And number three, that you would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, far above every principality and power and dominion and ruler, and he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We need the spirit of revelation and the knowledge of Christ Jesus. The revelation of Christ Jesus, it's the pinnacle. It's the highest. It's the Father's supreme delight. It's the Holy Spirit's number one agenda. It's the devil's number one assault. It's the thing least talked about in our pulpits. And yet found in the revelation of Christ is the ecclesia in which the gates of hell will not prevail. It's on the revelation of Christ on which the prayer anointing that gets heaven's amen over your life and over your people. I believe that God wants to blow open a door over Chicago. I believe God wants to blow open a door and begin to blow open a ceiling and crack through every ceiling of religion. Because here's religion, it's I've arrived. Religion is I've arrived. You can do that in tongues. You can do that with no music. You can do that. The spirit of religion will rest wherever he can find it. Wherever you've settled into this is all there is, the spirit of religion is on your life. We need the scales broken off of us. We need the scales that fell off of Saul of Tarsus to be broken off of us. We need scales to get broken off of us. And for wonder and fascination and awe and childlikeness to touch the church again where we ask questions that never get answered. When did we stop asking questions about when did God begin? The God of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> My favorite verse in the Bible is the first one. Because you got to ask yourself a very important question at the beginning of your Bible. If he's there in the beginning, we see the Father, we see the eternal Word, and we see the Spirit. If they're there in the beginning, when did they begin? You see the Trinity in the very first verse of the Bible. And if he's there in the beginning, you've got to jump off the pages into what Jesus called before the foundation of the world. Most of us see God as a middle-class working dad with seven billion children. Because middle-class working dads have good hearts but limited resources. He gives good hugs, but he just can't really help. He's got a lot more mouths to feed and things to take care of right now. Do you understand that he is the everlasting God? He is the God who is uncreated. 
You ever jumped off the page before? You ever gone on that wild journey of the beginning of God's days? When you go, how many days before Genesis 1? A million? A billion? A trillion? 999 trill, bill, mill, thous? And you keep going and going and going and you hit a wall and the wall's called out of numbers. And when you hit that wall, you look back to Genesis 1 and you say to yourself, I'm closer to Genesis 1 right now than I am to the beginning. Because he is the beginning. Do you know that our God is uncreated? There's never been a time that he was not. Jesus' name is Alpha. Holy Spirit is the eternal spirit. The Father inhabits eternity. <laughs> he has no beginning. Does that kind of unnerve you? Everything that we know of has a beginning and an end. You are dealing with an eternal, everlasting God. Why is that important? Because all that God is has no beginning and has no end. He's loved us with an everlasting love. His mercy is an eternal mercy. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. His justice, his goodness, his kindness, his wisdom, his just, all that he is has always been. When we stop looking at God, we got four steps to better marriages, three steps to better children, four steps to better finances. When are we going to hear about God? That exposes us because that requires us to leave everything and to call forth people that are going to go into the search and the discovery of what the Bible says about him. He's the everlasting God. Not only is he the everlasting God, he's the infinite, the transcendent. Hold your hands out like this. We're about to go somewhere tonight. He measures the heavens with the span of his hand. Got that? It ain't poetry and it's not symbolism. It's not allegory. It's kind of like, yeah, he's really big. No, no. He measures the heavens with the span of his hand. He says in Psalm 113, he humbles himself to behold the things that are in the universe. God's got to do limbo to look at the Milky Way. He inhabits eternity. He measures all the waters in the palm of his hand, weighs all the mountains and scales. All the inhabitants are like grasshoppers, and the nations are but a drop in the bucket. How awesome is our God. It's time to get delivered from gods we've made in our own image Gods that we have formed, that's our professional butler, and that just wants us happier and more comfortable and life working perfect for us. It's time for the restoration of the majesty of God. The majesty of God, the beauty of God, the awesomeness of God, the terrifying awe of who he is. You can't feel the weight of what it means for the word to become flesh until you get your mind blown over the word. Have you ever read the book of Job before? Tough season? <laughs> I've had my Job seasons. God, the, the toughest thing Job went through was listening to his friends talk for 30 chapters. 
call it Facebook comments. Which means this, enough Bible to be dangerous and just be ignorant. Because we don't know what to do with just weeping and silence. We got to talk. And the real knowledge of God shuts you up. You don't know nothing. And then God shows up in a tornado and he gives Job a hundred question pop quiz with the same answer. The answer is no. That's the cheat sheet for you. Were you there when I did Genesis 1? Did you hang the earth on nothing? I mean, he's eaten up with boils, lost his whole life, just sitting there, and God's just punching him. Bang, bang. Oh, let's talk some more. Let me sit down and talk to you. Prepare yourself like a man. Who is this who darkens counsel with words without knowledge? Which means stop listening to these idiots. They don't know me. They don't have my mind. And Job, you don't know what you're talking about. I mean, let's get, this is how God, this is God's pastoral ministry to suffering Job. And this is the message that God's going to release to the nations. This is the message to the nations. Were you there? Who hung the earth on nothing? Who told proud waves they can come this far and no further? Did you, Job? Okay, let's stop talking about Genesis 1. Do you know about Big Bear, Little Bear, Orion, and all her little cubs? You know about constellations and galaxies? Okay, let's not talk about that stuff. Can we talk about little amoebas in the bottom of the ocean? Can we talk about the baby onager? What is an onager? Do you know the mating season of the deer? Do you send lightning in the middle of the desert just because? Is Leviathan your little pet that you love to play with? Why is God going to ask a suffering man a hundred questions? From everything revolving around Genesis 1 to upholding constellations and then taking care of the most smallest, most minutest details of creation. He's saying, Job, if I've got Genesis 1 on my resume, upholding galaxies and taking care of the smallest things of creation, then surely I know how to bring the crowning jewel of my creation into the fullness of your destiny with perfect wisdom and perfect power. Which means shut up. I know what I'm doing. Shut up. Get out of victim room. Get out of complaining room. Get out of, well, if my parents wouldn't have gotten divorced at that age, then my whole life, get out of blame shifting. Get out of this. Get out of that. I want you to understand I'm going to take your greatest pains and I'm going to bring forth a glorious storyline. And I am going to write my story through your life. If you could see me in the middle of it all, I'm going to bring forth glory out of your ashes. It's time to go higher. It's time to go higher. He's going to confront the nations over this. He's going to confront Israel over this in her darkest hour. He is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ that a man, and to think about this, the eternal God that measures heavens with the span of his hand, 
became a seed in a virgin's womb, and the virgin did not explode. The fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. Got your head around that? That's why John could not get it. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. The eternal Word became flesh, got into our dirty, got into our story, took on our flesh, took on our frame, took on our form. And he came and he joined hands with us. And he took on the form of the alienated race and the perfect life you could not live. He lived. Enduring every temptation. Was in all points tempted and tested as we are, yet without sin. Prodded in every way. Tested in every way. And then he climbed up on that cross and he said, Father, the punishment that's belonging to them, pour it out on me. And he received the punishment for our sins in his own body. He took us into that grave. Three days later, raised from the dead. Forty days later, ascends into the very holy of holies in the new Jerusalem, a resurrected man. There's only one man in heaven. He walked right up into the middle of the new Jerusalem. The angels, the elders, the jasper, the sardius, the rainbow. He walks right up in it. He offers his blood as one sacrifice for sins once and for all. And the Bible is very clear. And then the father says, good job, son. Now sit down. And he now sits down where for the last 2,000 years he's been engaged in the ministry of intercession. It's time to lift our eyes to the throne. He is the God of Jesus. The God that when the devil, it says in 1 Corinthians 2, that the rulers of this world, had they known the hidden wisdom. Talk to me about that hidden wisdom. They never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Oh, the greatest sneak-up job on the devil ever is that hidden wisdom. That Christ is the wisdom and the power of God that are broken, bleeding, suffering, marred more than any other man. Hanging on a cross, stripped naked, hanging between heaven and earth is the wisdom and the power of God. Disarm principalities and powers through his death. Who is like our God. He is the God of Jesus. He's the God who turns death into resurrection. Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is calling the church in this hour to the throne. Jesus said, in the world you're going to have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Then he lifted his eyes. I believe that he's calling the church in the middle of these days because we have just crossed over into a new season. And we ain't ever going back. And I ain't talking about, yeah, hallelujah. No, no. It's never going back to what you define as normal. We've crossed over into a new season. I believe we're moving into those birth pangs. The Lord told me at the beginning of 2020, the Jeremiah 12 verse 5, if you've run with the footmen and they wore you out, how will you do with the horses in the floodplain of the Jordan? Which means if you're worn out in 2020, you ain't seen nothing yet.
And he is calling the church to begin to anchor their affections, anchor their souls, anchor their eyes, and fasten it around the throne of God and not on the stock market and not on Instagram or Twitter or Fox News or CNN or MSNBC, but to fasten it to the throne of God, anchoring your soul to the throne of God and learn how to ascend above the storms and connect with the one on the throne. Friend, we've got a window of time to begin to reorder our appetites, reorder our affections, lift our gaze and press through. Lift up, it's a Hebrews 12 of loosening the weights. It's about running. It's about getting rid of weights and the sin which so easily entangles us. It's not an hour to be bebopping around. It's not an hour to flirt with that same old devil you've been flirting with for the last 10 years. We're in a new season. We need to get buoyant. We need to get light. We need to get fresh. We need to get tender. This is what Michael was hitting. This is what I've been saying. Our greatest indictment in 2020 is the hardness of our hearts. Because you get polarized in hardness and you become unmovable. And tears is God's gift to restore tenderness to the church. Ask him to make you tender. Make us tender, Jesus. I've been talking about the gift of tears. It's the revelation of your inability to change anything in and of yourself. You cry when you run out of options and strategies and techniques. And that's when prayer gets answered. He is the Father of glory. James calls him the Father of lights. Hebrews calls him the Father of spirits. Paul calls him Father of mercies. Jesus says, Our Father in heaven. I call him Abba. He's our Father in heaven. Holy is his name. Jesus taught us about Revelation 4 before John went to Revelation 4. When you pray, say, our Father in heaven, holy. And in Revelation chapter 4, John sees a door standing open in heaven. And I declare over Chicago, declare over this house and over this city and over this region, a divine door is opening. And a holy invitation is being given. Come up here. And I want to show you things. I want to I show you things. I want to blow your minds. I want to give you divine perspective. Immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne set in heaven. There is one throne set in heaven above the White House, above the Chinese governmental base, above Buckingham Palace, above every Saudi sheik, above every power base and dominion and coalition of nations. There's a throne set in heaven. It's immovable. It's set far above. It's in the third heaven. Far above every 
every principality, every ruler, every dominion, every trillionaire, every coalition of principalities and powers. There is a throne. He resides on that throne. And friend, you have access to that throne. See, we've ran to temporal thrones long enough, and the Lord's saying it's time to come up higher. You've ran, your vision's way too low. Come up higher. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, one set on the throne. He who sat there, shining like jasper, burning like sardius, emerald rainbow surrounding him. Jasper, sardius, rainbow. John's doing his best to describe what he's seeing. Give him a break. And the best thing he could come up with are ancient stones. It's not like he's got all this articulation because what he's seeing is unmentionable in their vocabulary. That's why he uses words like like. And he's trying to give his reader a bridge, but it don't even touch it. Because he's like Jasper and Sardius and an emerald rainbow. Blinding light, burning fire, emerald rainbow. Blinding light, burning fire, emerald rainbow. I declare that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God dwells in unapproachable light. He wraps himself with light. God is light, and in him is how much darkness? No darkness at all. There's not going to be any need for the sun or the moon in the new Jerusalem. The Lamb will light up the 1,500-mile-wide city. (laughs) He dwells in unapproachable light. But God is not just some light. He's not some ball of light at a distance. He's fire. This is why I came is so we can talk about fire tonight. That was my intro. Now I'm ready to talk about fire. We're going to talk about burning ones. What are we going to do? Just get real excited and God is fire. He's not like fire. God is fire, which means he's passion. He's flame. He's jealous flame. He's passionate flame. In Genesis 15, when the Lord made covenant with Abraham, while Abraham was asleep, guess who showed up? A burning oven and a smoking torch. The father and the son show up as a burning oven and a smoking torch, and they make covenant with one another concerning Israel's destiny. Moses, on the backside of Midian, ran into a bush that was on fire. Everything in the presence of God is on fire. His fire tenderizes you. His fire refines you, judges you, consumes you awakens you, enables you. Fire. Samson's mother, when the angel of the Lord went up in the sacrifice as a flame of fire, 
Psalm 104 makes his ministers a flame of fire. Ezekiel saw a man from his waist down, he's on fire. From his waist up, he's on fire. The man's on fire. Malachi saw the one, the refiner of fire, who will purify the sons of Levi. John goes, I got a water baptism ministry. Him? Oh, y'all ain't seen nothing left. I can clean the outside. Him? He's getting up in your business. I can clean the outside and get you ready for him, but him, he's going to start touching the lust and the envy and the jealousy and the rejection and all the stuff on the inside of you because fire wants to get close. Fire doesn't share well. We all talk about the reasons Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Lay down his life. Give it as a ransom. Luke 12, 49. I came to send fire. And how I wish it were already kindled. But how distressed I am till it's accomplished. I have a baptism to be baptized with. Do you think I came to bring peace? No, but Jesus, that's what the angels sang to the shepherds. No. See, this is what fire will always do. It will first disrupt and divide to bring about unity on God's terms. See, God's not into kumbaya sessions. God's not into happy, clappy, let's have a couple potlucks and we're all unified. Fire. People who are baptized in the fire. Anybody get on fire for Jesus and things get weird at home for a season? Raise your hand. I'm asking a question. Things get weird. Why? Because fire just broke into the house. And it's making dad mad and mom mad and brother mad. And you're like, I'm not doing anything different. I just love Jesus. And yet it gets weird. You don't even know how to define what the weirdness is. It's because there's fire in your home. And he's claiming you as his own. And he first divides to bring about unity on his terms. He came to send fire. He baptizes in fire. Luke 12, he's releasing fire. Luke 24, hearts were set on fire. Road to Emmaus, Jesus and his Clark Kent outfit takes them on a Bible study. Preaches Genesis to Malachi about Jesus, his suffering and resurrection. Says, I'll see you guys later. See ya. And they tackle him, drag him into the house. They sit down. He takes bread, breaks it. And as soon as he hands it to them, their eyes get open. They know it's him and he vanishes. If someone vanished in front of me, I would look at you and say, did you see the guy vanish? That's not what they said. They both went back to what they were feeling on the road when Jesus was leading an Old Testament Bible study. Did not our hearts burn within us? That's what I want is Jesus preaching Jesus in the Old Testament. Day of Pentecost was tongues of fire. 
Ephesians 5 says it's going to be a bride without wrinkles. How do you get wrinkles out, Michael? Fire, pressure, heat. He's going to get out spots. Thank God for the water. Oh, but he's got to get out wrinkles. Fire. Do you know what Jesus' eyes look like right now? There's torches in his eyes. It's not symbolism. That fire confronted Thyatira and her toleration of Jezebel. The fire confronts sexual immorality. The fire confronts pornography and other lovers and idolatry. The fire says no. And I'm going to give you time to repent, but I mean it. He's coming back with fire in his eyes. Revelation 8, at the beginning of the trumpets, fire is going to be sent to the earth. His fire is going to consume everything that can be consumed. Song of Solomon 8, verse 6, Jesus says, this is how you endure fire. You have my fire resting on your heart. Set me as a seal upon your heart. A seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. And then he says this, its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Hallelujah. Is not my word a fire? Thank you, Holy Spirit. But we all know that if God's fire was let loose on the planet, nobody could stand. That's why there's an emerald rainbow surrounding his throne. He relates with us through the lens of mercy. He's the kindest person. See, this is the thing about God. I mean, I've been around Michael for two hours. He, he, he just breathes fire. I breathe fire, and my journey's been learning mercy. Some of you more merciful people, you've been learning fire. He's got it all. The most intense person you've ever met is the kindest and most tender person you've ever met. Are we good? Wake up. Twenty-four thrones surrounding the throne of God. Give me five more minutes. Twenty-four thrones. That's the most merciful thing God's ever done for you. He didn't give you what you deserved. He gives you his righteousness. And then he seats you around him, not so you can just go, thank you, Jesus, thank you. He goes, uh-uh, you're now sitting with me. You're my aristocracy. I'm, I'm throning you on my throne. I'm clothing you in my righteousness. And I'm crowning, I'm dignifying you. I don't need cheerleaders. I want a bride to rule with. What's going to happen when the church of this region wakes up that we are throned, robed, and crowned? What's going to happen when the church shucks off widowhood and orphanhood and victimhood and living at a distance and hiding in shame and guilt and fear and rejection and actually takes their seat? The church enters into her royal priestly identity as those who rule with the Lamb of God. 
we shuck off all the other voices and enter into intercession and worship and start legislating. I'll tell you what's going to happen. Lightnings, thunderings, and voices will come back to the church. The prophetic spirit will get back on our pulpits. The prophetic spirit will get back on our worship teams. The prophetic spirit will get back on our businessmen and our stay-at-home moms. It will get back on our teachers and the fire, the prophetic spirit. The whispers turn into thunders. It's not about how loud you say it. It's about how real it is. A sea of glass, seven lamps of fire burning, seven spirits of God. And then, can we get to the burning ones? There are creatures surrounding the throne of God, and their names mean burning ones. Four living creatures full of eyes around and within. One like a lion, calf, eagle, face of a man. You're going to meet these guys one of these days. Eyes around and within. Which means their insides are eyes. And their outsides are eyes. Their whole being is eyes. And the Bible says they do not rest day or night. Holy, 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 almighty, eternity. They've been in the same room with the same person singing the same word forever. They've never gotten used to him. They've never said, what are we going to do next? Why did God give them all them eyes? To look at him. You were made to look at him. Why don't they stop? Why don't they stop? I didn't say seven seconds. Billions of years. Why don't they stop? It's because he never stops breaking in with fresh discoveries. They sing holy the 10 billion time as if they've never seen him at all. And here's the crazy part. They haven't. They sing holy the 10 billionth time. And what they're saying is, I've never seen you like this before. Yes, you have. No, I haven't. Yes, you have. No, you haven't. He wants to rip scales. And here we are. Eyes around and within. Jesus, Paul prayed for the eyes of your understanding. Jesus says the eyes are the window to the soul. And here we are on the battleground of a pornified generation. A demonic worship movement. 
that worships the bodies of men and women, eyes being adulterated day and night, fresh images every 10 seconds, and then images you can delete and never show your parents or anybody else. We live in a pornified world that's stealing the worship, the gaze, the interior meditation of a generation. And I'm here to tell you the Father has an ace card up his sleeve, and it's called the revelation of the beauty of Jesus. There are two scales that are going to fall off the church in these days, the scales of perversion and the scales of religion. Scales of perversion and scales of religion. He's going to restore fascination. That's why we're in the middle of a shift in the body of Christ. The days of 45 minutes and 20 bucks, they're over. Sunday-only Christianity is over. Let me make it clear to you, it's over. Hebrews says, in light of the coming of the day of the Lord, don't forsake assembling, which means it's Joel 2. It's the spirit of gathering, corporate histories of prayer and fasting, corporate communities of breaking through here and breaking through here, prayer rooms and dinner tables. Prayer rooms and dinner tables that break through. But staying childlike in our pursuit, we never arrive. We've never gotten there. We need rooms where it's open Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays. We need anointed singers and musicians on stages ministering to God and us getting into corporate beholding together. Rooms where we pace and we break through our boredom with God. And we stay long enough until he's not boring anymore. And we're okay to look at boredom and say, God, here I am. You ain't got nobody else to deal with but me, but here I am. I'm going to put my cold heart before the flame of your eyes, and I ain't going anywhere until I start feeling. I'll pace in a room. I'll crawl in a room. I'll speak the same words. I'll say no words. Just give me eyesight, I pray. God, deliver the Laodicean church from saying we don't need anything and we see just fine. Give us eyesight. Give us eyesight. Blind people cry out to see. Jesus says, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind would see and the sea would be blind. I believe he wants to rip some scales off of us tonight. This is what battering ram, this is what the hammer looks like. I like Thursday nights. I like, let's just go. Let's just break the ground. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.